Few people expect the Seahawks to do much after trading away Russell Wilson and releasing Bobby Wagner in the midst of a new era for the franchise. Most are expecting they're not going to be anywhere near playoff contention. What would be deemed a successful 2022 season for a franchise in transition? I'm going to be sharing my thoughts and also exploring what fans had to say on our Thursday installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week, whether it's live streaming on YouTube or listening audio form on all the major platforms that our podcast is available, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. For all of our listeners, we greatly appreciate it. Got a jam-packed Thursday episode coming your way. We're now two weeks away from the start of Seahawks training camp, and there's been a lot of change on the roster. I'm going to be exploring where the Seahawks stack up on offense and defense, each positional group against their three NFC West rivals. Plus, I'm going to be exploring what might be deemed a successful 2022 season for the Seattle Seahawks, a franchise in transition. Without further ado, let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. It's been a turbulent offseason for the Seahawks, first trading away Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos in early March, getting a package of draft picks and veteran players back in return. And then that same day that news broke that Wilson was going to be traded, they released linebacker Bobby Wagner. So a pair of Hall of Famers heading out the door. The Seahawks have made the playoffs eight of the past 10 seasons, but expectations are near rock bottom right now, heading into the first season without Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson, which begs the question. And I pose this on social media today for all of our valued listeners. What would be a successful season for the Seattle Seahawks in 2022? It's a lot different than what it has been the last several years where it's basically been Super Bowl or bust with Russell Wilson under center and the talented stars Seattle's had on both sides of the ball. Expectations remained high even as they struggled to win playoff games. It's a much different situation now with Drew Locke or Geno Smith expected to be the starting quarterback. They didn't draft a QB. They didn't go out and trade for Baker Mayfield. Maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is still in the cards, but there's been a huge downgrade in quarterback talent, and there's a lot of young players that are going to be getting early snaps. Seahawks could have two starters at the tackle position. So again, I pose this question to our listeners, and I'll weigh in with my thoughts on what I think a successful 2022 season might look like. But first, I want to get to what you, our listeners, had to say. And we got a lot of interesting comments on this. And the first one coming here from Anthony Paz, Drew Locke becomes the next franchise QB, which would mean we wouldn't have to draft a quarterback with our picks, just fill other positions of need. This would obviously be maybe the best case scenario for the Seahawks, given where they're at right now, because Drew Locke is only 25 years old. John Schneider's already talked about the physical tools that he brings to the table. He does have a big arm. And so saying that he has a hose is accurate. That has not translated, though, to on-field production necessarily. So for that reason alone, there's a lot of skepticism out there by fans and experts about whether or not Drew Locke can be the guy. But if he fits in with this offense and he clicks with Shane Waldron, beats out Geno Smith, he's got to do that first. got to win the starting job. But if he's able to do that and run this offense, not turn the football over, play that point guard role, 
and get DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett the football, then this offense is a chance to be better than expected. So yeah, that maybe is the best way to look at a successful season. If one of these quarterbacks, particularly the younger one that seems to have more upside still in Drew Locke, ends up becoming the guy beyond 2022, this would be a home run for the Seahawks moving on from Russell Wilson if they had that type of a result. We'll see what ends up happening there. That may be a long shot, but that would certainly give the Seahawks a lot of flexibility next year. They wouldn't have to force to draft a quarterback. They could fill other needs if they wanted to build around him. So that would make it a successful season. Next one here, JL Sports. They established the foundations of a strong offensive line to protect a new quarterback in 2023. So this is moving away from the idea that Drew Locke is going to be the guy beyond this year or Geno Smith is going to be the guy beyond this year. And I think this is what most fans are clamoring for next year. This is a really good quarterback class that's coming in in the 2023 NFL draft. There could be as many as three or four quarterbacks that go in the first 10 picks. There might even be five. That's the kind of depth that we're talking about here. A lot of big name talent that returned to school or they were underclassmen that weren't draft eligible last year and they will be this upcoming season. So if you can have Charles Cross and or Abe Lucas go out there and start a bunch of games and improve as the season plays out, they're going to go through their lumps. They're rookies playing the NFL against elite pass rushers. There are going to be some bumps in the road. But if you can get stellar play from those two and Damian Lewis returns to form for his rookie season, last year injuries set him back some. I think changing to the left side also impacted his play a little bit. But if you can have those three young cornerstones have a really strong season together and it looks like momentum's carried over for 2023, that is going to pay dividends for whoever your quarterback is next year, especially if you're going to be breaking in a first-round pick as your quarterback. So the offensive line, there should be a lot of attention on that group this year with a first- and third-round pick potentially going to be starting together from day one. And that's exciting, also terrifying because they're rookie tackles. And that's only happened twice since 1970. The Seahawks might make it three times. Seahawk nerd, I've got to see the young players with potential fulfill expectations. So a couple check marks here, a full season from Daryl Taylor and Trey Brown. Any third receiver getting involved, Freddie Swain, Eskridge, Melton, one of the early round draft picks being a hit. So maybe that's Charles Cross. Maybe that's Boy Mafe. Maybe it's Ken Walker III out of the backfield, whoever it is. I would agree on all these points. Any football team is going to be better when they have first round or second round picks that end up hitting and are really good right off the bat. And you can get some of your young players to take a big leap forward. Daryl Taylor, to me, is the one I've been talking about a lot. If you can get a double-digit sack season out of Daryl Taylor, then there's a really good chance that this defense is going to take a big step forward with the talent they have in the secondary. I still think the linebacker group is pretty solid, even without Bobby Wagner. The corner position, if Trey Brown can come back healthy, he looked so good in five games last year. So yeah, this might be what you deem a successful season. Throw the record out the window. Are my young players that are already on the roster getting better? And are my first, second, third round picks coming out and making an impact immediately? Because that spells great news for the future of this franchise. Cindy, a winning record. Pretty simple here. Playoffs would be nice, but I'd rather be happily surprised than disappointed. So I'm staying humble with my expectations. I think this is the reality for most Seahawks fans. Yes, going to the playoffs would be nice. You're never going to turn down that opportunity. There's a few fans out there that might be wanting that top five pick and they don't want to sneak into the playoffs. But most fans, they want that. I think most fans understand that when you trade the best quarterback in franchise history and you don't replace him with a viable starter, at least right now, Geno Smith and Drew Locke have not been that to this point in their careers. 
it's really difficult to have the expectation this team's going to make the playoffs. But if they could go out and have a winning record and a lot of the young players develop, you get decent quarterback play along the way, I think Seahawks fans will find this to be an enjoyable season, even if they know the expectations are pretty low. So winning record, that would be swinging for the fence with this team with the quarterback situation, but they also have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. So maybe, just maybe, they can get the job done. And then Travis, this was probably the one that I was most fascinated by. What's fun about this season is I would really be content with any outcome. If they suck, great. Stroud or Young. If they don't, great. Our young players probably had good seasons, and the Hawks could probably still trade up for a quarterback. And that is where I stand. This is a perfect segue into what I believe is a successful season for the Seattle Seahawks. I'm not looking necessarily at that win or loss record. I'm looking at, you know what? If this team exceeds expectations and they end up winning eight, nine, 10 games, you still got two first round picks. You still got two second round picks. If you're not sold that Drew Locke is your guy or somehow Geno Smith is your guy beyond this year, which I would be surprised if that's how it plays out, but who knows? And you think you're going to get a quarterback early. They have the draft ammunition to go up and get it. And you know Pete Carroll's not going to be tanking. They're going to be looking to win as many games as they can. This is not a let's go get a top five pick thing. Yeah, then you wouldn't have to trade up. But they have the ammunition to do it. So that's been the argument that I've been making all along. This team's going to go out. They're going to compete. They do have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball still. They've got some proven veterans, particularly on the defensive side of the ball and at receiver. And so for that reason, again, I just think this is a this is a season that fans have to go into it with a very open mind. Is there a chance this team could go out and win three, four games? Certainly. If the quarterback thing blows up in their face and the young guys don't make an impact, this could be a very bad football team. But it also could be a team that really surprises people and nobody wants to play them, especially with Pete Carroll as the coach and just the way that he is programmed. He is not going to be looking to, at 70, going on 71, tank a season away. And so – I just think it is very open-ended with how this season could play out. And certainly the quarterback situation comes to mind when you are looking at that. Coming up next here on our Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks, for the remainder of the show, we're only two weeks away from training camp. So I'm going to be taking a close look at where Seattle's offensive and defensive groups stack up compared to the rest of the NFC West. I'm going to start on the offensive side of the ball when we return here in a moment. Hindsight is 2020, and you can't change the past, but what if I could get you a little help from your future self? Maybe you'd ask to borrow a little cash. Now you can with Dave. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's extra money to fill your tank, buy a wedding gift, or catch up on bills. You can finally tackle those expenses that have been stressing you out without any hangups. There's no interest and no credit check needed. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get financial relief they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch and need some extra help, download Dave and think of it as a helping hand from future you. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve, member FDIC. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We are getting really close to the start of the NFL season. And keeping that in mind, which NFL stars move the betting line the most? Starting July 18th, Locked On gives you the 50 most valuable players in the NFL from the odds makers at Bet Online. Available July 18th on Locked On NFL, wherever you get your podcasts. 
and on YouTube. All right, we're getting close to training camp here. Report day is the 26th of July for the Seahawks. First practice on July 27th. This is a new look team in a lot of different ways, particularly a quarterback and linebacker. So keeping that in mind, I'm going to be checking out all of Seattle's offensive and defensive position groups and comparing them to the rest of the NFC West. We're going to start on the offensive side of the football for this particular segment and looking at the offensive side of the football. We were going to look at quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, and offensive line. You're going to start at the quarterback position. As I mentioned earlier, no Russell Wilson, first time in a decade. If you have been hiding under a rock, you haven't heard about that. But it's been a huge talking point for several months. The Seahawks have been linked to Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo, some of the incoming rookies in the draft class. Seattle didn't pick any of them. And so you've got Geno Smith going up against Drew Locke. And those two will be competing starting on July 27th to replace Russell Wilson. That is just not an ideal situation, any way that you slice it. Now, Geno Smith proved last year in three starts replacing Russell Wilson. He can handle this offense. He only had one interception in four games played, almost a 70% completion rate. He and DK Metcalf built a very strong rapport. So if he wins the job, you know, maybe they can get by this year with reliable average starting quarterback play with the other talent they have on the roster. Drew Locke has a lot more upside being only 25 years old, has a big cannon of an arm, underrated athlete. He's got the physical tools, but hasn't put it together. I debated whether or not I would put the Seahawks at number three in the NFC West here, but I have to go with dead last because Trey Lance as a number three overall pick two years ago. You want to talk about a guy that's got physical tools. Drew Locke might have them, but Trey Lance has a very unique skill set. He's not an average athlete or an underrated athlete. This is a guy that can take over games with his legs, has not played a lot of football the last couple of years, did get a few starts last year for the 49ers. I just think with his upside, you have to put the 49ers at third here. If Jimmy Garoppolo still in the roster, he's got the two NFC championship games in the Super Bowl the last three years. So he's not a bad quarterback either. You just you have two quarterbacks in Smith and Locke that have losing records. And for that reason alone, I just can't put him any higher than fourth. Maybe we revisit it down the road and they end up sneaking ahead of San Francisco. But the Cardinals and the Rams are way ahead of everybody else in this division at the quarterback position with Matthew Stafford as well as Kyler Murray. Now on the polar opposite end of the spectrum here at running back, this is a position that's been devalued in the NFL over the years. It's a pass-happy league now. Teams are slinging the ball over the place, but the Seahawks, they're one of the teams bucking that trend. Pete Carroll wants to run the football, and if they can keep this group healthy, there's a lot of talent. We saw what Rashad Penny could do the last six games last year, led the NFL in rushing yards. Ken Walker the third, Doak Walker award winner at Michigan State, can come in immediately as a complimentary piece with Rashad Penny. That is a dynamic one-two punch. If you have a healthy Chris Carson, that just makes this group that much better. DJ Dallas and Travis Homer are capable NFL running backs. They're really solid third down guys and special teams players. I don't even think this one is close. I've got the Seahawks at first place in the division. There are some other good running backs in this division, but the Seahawks to me clearly have the most depth. They have the most explosive talent, the most versatility in the backfield. They just got to keep this group healthy. And I think this is the best in the NFC West by a wide margin. Now going to the outside at receiver, the Seahawks, you could make an argument for first place when you consider the production of the top two guys. Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf have been phenomenal. 
the three years that they've played together. Even last year playing with a foot injury, Metcalf still almost got to 1,000 receiving yards and had 12 touchdowns. Lockett is the second receiver in franchise history to have three straight 1,000-yard seasons. Only Steve Largent has accomplished that. So you're talking about two elite receivers that belong in that top 10 discussion in the entire NFL. So for that reason, you could make the argument that they're first. But I'm going to go with them being second in the division because Cooper Cup is the top receiver for the Rams, and he won the Triple Crown last year. And Eastern Washington alumni, a lot of our listeners respect him for that reason. Stinks that he plays for a rival, but one of the best, if not the best receiver in the NFL. They got Allen Robinson, who I think is a very underrated receiver. He's never played with a decent quarterback. That's going to change catching passes from Matthew Stafford. They've got a couple other solid receivers behind those two. So I'm going to give them the very slight edge just because I think there's a little bit more depth there and Cooper Cup being the top guy. If D. Eskridge steps up, this could change. Or Freddie Swain ends up having a breakout third year, this could change. But they need that third receiver to emerge before I will jump them over the Rams. The Cardinals have some talent, but DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be suspended the first six games, even with Hollywood Brown coming in. And the 49ers... Brandon Ayuk has the upside to be a really good number one. Debo Samuel is a great player, but he's probably going to hold out once traded. There's a lot of big, big ifs there for San Francisco. So I've got them at second. Look at our next position group here at tight end. In terms of talent, I think you could make an argument that the Seahawks, in talent perspective, they might have the best group overall in tight ends in the NFC West because Noah Fant is a former first round pick. That's got a ton of upside. He's been hindered a bit by quarterback play playing in Denver's offense. I still think he can be an 800 plus receiving yard guy that can really stretch the defense create after the catch. Colby Parkinson is a freak at six foot seven running the way he does, but he's had foot injuries that have held him back. Will Disley isn't going to blow by people as a route runner, but he's a great blocker. I think they've got a lot of collective talent here. But the numbers have not been there the last few years. I do think with the changing quarterback, this might be one advantage. The tight ends might get used a lot more. And so this group could climb up the rankings. But for right now, I'm going with third based on the production that we've seen from this group and how they've used tight ends. I could see this changing as the year evolves. But George Kittle being the best tight end in the division, I've got them at number one. The Cardinals have Zach Ertz. they got a couple of other tight ends that are intriguing if Max Williams gets back healthy from a knee injury. I'm going to give them a slight edge from production, but this Seahawks tight end group could be really good. The Rams, if they can get a second guy to go with Tyler Higby, could also climb up this group. It's a pretty close margin between the four teams, but Seattle might have the most upside. They just have to fulfill it with this group. And last but not least, the offensive line. It's been an Achilles heel for the Seahawks for a very long time. And I considered this group, when you consider a long-term prognosis, I wouldn't want to put them in the cellar. But when you're looking at starting a pair of tackles, and I think right now that's what's going to happen. I think that Abe Lucas and Charles Cross are going to be day one starters for the Seahawks at the two tackles positions. It'll be the third time since 1970 that a team has done that, starting two rookies at tackle. I think you just consider that on its own merit, the struggles that those two are inevitably going to go through. And you've got to put this group dead last. I think Austin Blythe potentially could be a slight upgrade over Ethan Posick at center. Damian Lewis could take a big step forward in year three. If Gabe Jackson can find his pre-2020 form, then you might end up having a decent offensive line. But there are so many ifs with this group, particularly starting two rookies at the tackle positions. 
And so right now I've got them squarely at fourth, a distant fourth behind the other teams in the league. Right now, San Francisco would be number one for me with the talent they have at the tackle positions. They did lose some guys in the interior. So that might be something to watch. The Rams lost Andrew Whitworth. The Cardinals have a solid but not great offensive line. And Rodney Hudson might have some contract issues. If that crops up into training camp, into the season, then that is a much weaker offensive line without him. So stay tuned on this. But right now, based on the lineups, we expect to see the inexperienced Seattle's fourth. If you're looking from a future perspective, they might be as high as second or even first in this division because the age of some of these offensive lines within the rest of the NFC West. But right now, they come in squarely in fourth. Going to be shifting gears now here for a third quarter, just breaking down the offensive groups. Now, Offense, there's a lot of big changes, particularly the quarterback spot. Defense, you have more returning players overall, but you do have a new coaching staff. And I think that changes a little bit how you evaluate some of these position groups. So looking at the defensive side here on our Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks, going to start at the edge spotted. This has been a weak point for a couple years. Frank Clark in 2018 had 13 and a half sacks. The Seahawks are near the top of the league in sacks. But ever since then, it's been a rotating door. You had a year with Devian Clowney. Then you traded for Carlos Dunlap midway through the 2020 season. Last year, they did not perform well. They were near the bottom of the league in sacks and pressure rate. So you change up your scheme. You're going 3-4 defense, which means to overhang outside linebackers, hybrid edge defenders, rather than having traditional defensive ends. And the Seahawks have changed up their personnel. They released Carlos Dunlap, Kerry Hyder, and Benson Mayoa. And they got younger. They've got Daryl Taylor coming back. I think he's primed for a huge season in year number three with the Seahawks. Uchenna Nwosu, probably the best free agent signing Seattle made. And it was a change in strategy for John Schneider because you're talking about a guy who's only 25 years old and you gave him a multi-year contract going away from signing 30-plus-year-old players to one-year deals for way more money than they probably should be paid to getting what I think is a bargain around $10 million a year for Nwosu, a player who could be on the verge of a breakout this year. You draft Boye Mafe, the most freakish athlete of this group, could be an impact player day one. He might need some time to develop before he's ready to do that, but he's got a very high ceiling, maybe higher than the other two guys. Allen Robinson and Tyreek Smith are good fourth and fifth options. So I like this group, what they are building here, but it's kind of like the offensive line for me. I look at some of the other teams in the division, the, the 49ers with Bosa alone, and then you add Armstead. In. That to me is number one. The Rams have Leonard Floyd. They have a couple of young guys that look like they're going to be ready to ascend potentially this year. I think right now the Seahawks are squarely third at the edge position with the young talent they have, the upside of Daryl Taylor, Uchenna Nwosu, and Boye Mafe. Those three could be absolute destructive forces going after quarterbacks this year. But they're young, and there's some untapped potential in the case of Mafe, a very raw player coming out of Minnesota. Arizona losing Chandler Jones. They still have Marcus Golden, but there's not a lot of depth at edge there. To me, they are a distant fourth. So Seattle is not in the cellar right now, in my opinion. And I think they could pass the Rams potentially on here just for edge guys with the upside. They've got the 49ers right now. They are head and shoulders above everybody with Bosa and Armstead. But Seattle could make up some ground. I like what they're building there. At the defensive tackle position, the Rams are going to get first place until Aaron Donald retires. That is inevitable. Aaron Donald is the best defensive player that I have seen play in my lifetime. So they are squarely number one. And you also have Greg Gaines from Washington standout that's really evolved into a quality player. They got a couple other 
really good defensive tackles. They mix in Donald being the head honcho. They're number one. I think Seattle comes in at number two on this list. If the 49ers would have kept DJ Jones, might have changed my tune a little bit on this because I think DJ Jones is a very underrated player, but he's now in Denver. They haven't gotten great production out of Javon Kinlaw. He's had a very interesting offseason, to say the least. So I've got them at three. And Arizona has some players that are intriguing there. They've also got J.J. Watt, who's listed as a defensive tackle. But J.J. Watt is towards the end of his career now, and he's not the player that he once was. I just think overall that group doesn't have the depth and they don't have the talent. So they're dead last, again, at edge and defensive tackle. I've got Seattle at second. Puna Ford is a very good football player. Al Woods had an outstanding year last year. still has plenty left in the tank. And Shelby Harris is an underrated addition to this football team. He's got at least six sacks, three the past five years. He can get after quarterbacks. Quentin Jefferson had 50 pressures for the Raiders last year. He was productive in that capacity in his first stint with Seattle. And if you can get something out of LJ Collier, I mean, this group could be very good collectively. Again, I'm not going to pass over the Rams because they have Aaron Donald, who's a one-man wrecking crew. They have a couple other good players. But Seattle, in terms of depth, they might have more than any team in the NFC West, and they might be up there in the NFC, in the NFL, really, for having most depth at the defensive tackle position. So I've got them at number two. They don't have that superstar, but they got a lot of really good players on that line. You get something out of Collier, it might change the tide here a little bit. Looking at linebacker, very similar to quarterback. You've got a legend that is now playing elsewhere, Bobby Wagner with the Rams, the Seahawks, for the better part of a decade, they have been a top three, top four linebacking group. Just with Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright together, you had Bruce Irvin, even when they had Barkevius Mingo and a few other guys mixing in at that Sam linebacker spot. They were in the top three or four just because of those two faces of the franchise he had in Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. They're both now gone. Wagner in LA, Wright's a free agent. If he doesn't get re-signed by Seattle, he's not going to play. He's going to retire. But you've got a budding superstar in Jordan Brooks who I think is going to give every linebacker in this division a run for their money. Ernest Jones in L.A. is another really good young linebacker, now going to be playing next to Bobby Wagner with the Rams. Wagner still has a lot left to give, I think, playing in that defense with all the talent around him. The Rams are squarely first in my linebacker rankings. I'm going to put the 49ers second because they have Fred Warner, in my opinion, top three linebacker in the NFL. Wasn't as good last year as he was in 2020, but still a very young player. He's been extremely productive. They've got some depth concerns away from him, though. Seattle could very easily move up to the number two spot if Cody Barton can show that he can play the way he did the two games replacing Bobby Wagner end of last year for an entire season. If he can take advantage of this final opportunity that he has to really play defensive snaps and do what he's done in limited action, Seattle could have a very solid linebacking group once again. Brooks takes that big step forward. He's an all-pro. Cody Barton ends up being a quality starter. They have a few other young guys like Joel E.A. Booneyway, who they got from the Bears, who might be able to play some snaps for you too. Your Sam linebacker spot, if they play base, you can put Daryl Taylor there in a pinch, and he's got the skills to do it. So I think this is a really good group. I just have them in third, and that's not a, a knock on this group. I think they could be better than this, but – the Rams have Jones and Wagner. To me right now, that's number one. Warner's presence makes the 49ers number two. But I'm going to have Brooks and Barton very close behind them. And if Barton is able to really take a hold of this job and play well, the Seahawks could have maybe a second, maybe the best linebacking group in this division potentially. I think this is tight with those first three teams. And the Cardinals maybe have the most upside if you can get Isaiah Simmons to play at his potential. And they also drafted a linebacker last year as well in the first round. So they've got young talent, 
but we haven't seen the production yet. So a lot of linebacking talent in this division. Going out to the secondary, this is one that may surprise some of our listeners because you look at Seattle's corners on paper. Sidney Jones was really good the last month and a half last year, but he has been underwhelming most of his NFL career. He's battled injuries. He's on a one-year deal. Artie Burns underwhelmed in Pittsburgh, but he played well for Sean Desai end of last year with Chicago. They're hoping they can bottle it up with Desai now being in Seattle. Those two can work together. You've got Trey Brown coming off a patellar tendon injury. Some guys just don't return as themselves from that injury. Will Disley, the Seahawks got lucky that he made it back. A lot of players struggle to get back from that. It's a better completion rate, recovery rate now than it used to be, but it's still a tough injury to come back from. And you got two rookies in Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen that are different into the spectrum. Bryant doesn't have the ceiling, but he has a very high floor. Won the Jim Thorpe Award uh, last year. I think he could start for this team on day one. And then your other corner, Tariq Woolen, has the most upside of this entire group. He might have the most upside of any player in Seattle's draft class, but he's only played corner for two years. He's very raw. So when you keep that in mind with those two corners, they might be able to play some snaps for this year, particularly Bryant. Uh, but overall on paper, it doesn't necessarily look like a great group. But I'm actually going to put them in third because San Francisco, to me, they've made some investments in the draft. They went out and they signed uh, Charvadius Ward from Kansas City. And he's a solid but not great starting corner. They're going to be bringing back a few other players that are coming off of injuries so I just look at that group and I don't feel like it is a strong corner group for the 49ers. They don't have a slot corner right now, as far as I'm concerned. Now, maybe a player will emerge in training camp, but I think they've got a lot more questions than Seattle does. Seattle's at least got some intriguing options. Sidney Jones, to me, is the most likely to be a starter. And then I still think Kobe Bryant can be the guy who's number two. If he is a solid year, this group's looking pretty good. With Byron Murphy being in Arizona, a few other young corners, I think the Cardinals are pretty well set. And the Rams, obviously, with Jalen Ramsey and a few other young corners that they've got there coming in at number one. But I don't think Seattle's corner group is going to be as bad maybe as some people are anticipating. And last but not least, our safety group. And it's a maligned one when you consider Jamal Adams. What the Seahawks gave up for him, there's no debate in my mind at this point. They gave up too much to trade for Jamal Adams. I don't think anybody's going to debate on that now. That does not mean Jamal Adams is not a great football player, though. And I've been making this argument for the last two years. Last year, Seattle struggled to get him involved with their pass rush. It was too predictable. Teams knew what they were doing. Hopefully, Clint Hurt and Sean Desai can fix that issue because he is a rare talent in that regard, and it really wreaks havoc for the offensive game plan if you don't know where he's coming play to play. They're hoping to have some diversity with those safeties, interchangeability, Quandre Diggs has just been so darn good, too. Five interceptions each of the past two seasons. Multiple Pro Bowls. Finally got some All-Pro votes last year. And he's fully healthy coming back from the leg injury he suffered the end of the year last year. So you're going to have him. Adams got two picks his last four games before he got hurt last year. So he was making strides in coverage. You know he can rush the passer. He's physical. And then behind him, you've got Ryan Neal, Ugo Amadi. If Marquise Blair's healthy, he has more upside than those two players do and can play 50% of the snaps of third safety, and your defense has so much flexibility. So there's some ifs here because the injury history for a few of these guys, but I don't think that this one's very close either. I think that the safety position for the Seahawks, clearly number one in the division. The Rams are my pick at number three because they've got Jordan Fuller, who's really becoming a really good football player in front of everyone's eyes. The Cardinals with Buda Baker, all pro safety. They've also got a couple other really solid safeties on their football team as well. But Buda Baker's the cream of the crop there. 
They come in at number two. And the 49ers, again, coming in dead last. Jaquiski Tart no longer with the team. Jimmy Ward is a solid but not great starter. I'm not overly impressed by the safety group that the 49ers are going to be rolling out this year. To me, another one where they're near the bottom by a pretty wide margin. But the Rams have solid safeties coming in at three. The Cardinals have all pro pedigree, and they're going to come in at number two. I just think Seattle, in terms of talent, depth, the whole package, it's not close. If this group plays the way they should and they can keep everyone healthy, this is one of the elite safety groups in the NFL, and they've been paid accordingly. So not only should they be ranked number one, they should clearly be playing number one with the money the Seahawks have invested in that position. That is clearly one of the biggest strengths they have going into this 2022 season. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube. We're also available on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all major platforms. Coming up on our Friday show, I'll be joined by Nick Lee, and the two of us are going to be tackling ESPN's annual rankings that come from executives, coaches, and players. We've got a beef with a few of the rankings that they have for the Seahawks, a few players that didn't end up on those lists, and we're going to be examining those. It's going to be a fun game day on Blue Friday. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.